how well the other churches have trained you. Uh, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, you guys are much better than they were last night. They didn't know why I was telling them that it was obvious we're here, right? Christ is risen. Um, that was, of course, the, the standard traditional greeting that we always got on, on the Easter morning. My father was the pastor, and he would stand up, and he would say that, and we would all reply back. Uh, but I've been pastor now for more than a day. And I would say that except for this day, when everybody's happy to be a Christian and everybody, you know, yes, Jesus rose. It's like we're on the winning team. You know, he won and we're part of that. Uh, but most of the time, if I waited, you know, maybe two, three months and then said, you know, he's risen, uh, I think the answer would be more like, you know, yeah, he's risen. So what? And I don't mean that as bad as it sounds, but I mean, I'm telling you, I talk to people all the time. This is kind of the hidden thing they don't say. Yeah, he's risen. That's something that happened a long time ago. What has Jesus done for me lately? Would be another way of putting it. I know I'm making some of you uncomfortable with this. Are you going to get struck with lightning today, Pastor Christ? It's going to happen someday, but not today. Because I really believe that that's kind of how we feel. It's almost like this. Um, you know, Jesus died for our sins. And that gave us forgiveness for our sins and redeemed us. We all know that and believe it or you wouldn't be here. Okay, so we all believe that. But that was for then. And what it's really for is heaven, right? That means that instead of going to hell, we're going to go to heaven. And so we have this moment in history where Jesus rose again from the dead and conquered sin and conquered death so that we can have a resurrection when we die. What happens in between? And I think that's what happens. You know, it's like, that's great. The problem is that that helps my ever, la ever after, you know, my afterlife, but it doesn't really help me pay my bills tomorrow. It doesn't help me get my family back together. It doesn't help me find a husband, find a wife. It doesn't help my kids stop being jerks. It doesn't help me now, you know. That's the thing. So it almost like Christians are saying, here's the deal. I appreciate everything you did for me, Jesus, and I will, you know, T-T-Y-I-H, talk to you in heaven. I'll catch you then. We'll catch up there. We'll have a good time, like a bad Harry Chapin song. I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, Lord. We'll, you know, we'll have a good time then. You know, it's like, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll catch up. I'm looking forward to catching up with you in heaven. But right now, I have to somehow get by here. And, you know, it'd be great if I just died as soon as I became a Christian, but I didn't. I have to still live my life. And um, I, I know a lot of you are kind of looking at me like, wow, I can't believe you're saying this, but I've had this said to me, and I've had it spoken in ways that weren't words, too. I think a lot of people kind of harbor this inside of them. It's like, I don't know. In fact, Paul has this expression that he uses in Acts when he's preaching on Mars Hill. He says this, God decided exactly when they should live. And he decided exactly when, where they should live. He did this so that people would seek him and perhaps they would reach out for him and find him. They would find him even though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He actually steals that, by the way, from a Greek philosopher because he's preaching to Greeks and that's how you, do, that's how you preach to them. Um, but anyway, does any of this matter where we live and move and have our being? Does, does Jesus' resurrection from the grave really impact tomorrow. You know, when you get up and go to work, does it really impact your life then? And, and what happens with that? And, and the problem is, and this is a problem that we have, and I'm going to show you, it's a problem that's gone back 2,000 years. We keep trying to make Jesus into our Messiah. He's trying to make us into his followers. And a lot of times those two things are not compatible. Because Jesus, I'm just going to warn you right now, is not the Messiah you're expecting. Join the club, by the way. John the Baptist felt the same way. Peter felt the same way. Jesus was just not the, not the Messiah 
that people expected to see. That's why the Jews missed him. They thought the Messiah would be a warrior king. He was coming from the line of David, who was the greatest warrior king of all time. And so they just naturally assumed he'd be a warrior king too, but he wasn't. He wasn't this king. He didn't come here to be king on earth. He had a vision beyond us because his vision is on heavenly things and on what really matters. And our vision is only on what happens in our lifetime of, you know, whatever, 80 years. And that's where our focus is. And Jesus says, well, my focus is on more than that. And it's almost like we say, um, you know what? We, we want you to lead us. We want to follow you. But we're walking this way right now. So if you could get over there in front of us so we could follow you that way, that'd be really cool. The problem is that sheep do not determine the direction of the shepherd. And we kind of forget that sometimes. You know, I need you over here because this is where my life matters to me right now. If my Messiah could come here, that would be cool. I actually go through this quite a lot because some of you know I have a shepherd in my life. Uh, he looks like this. Um, and this is kind of a very typical pose of his because he's always in front. He always has to lead. He has no idea where we're going, but he has to lead. From the moment I open the car door, he's out, you know, and he's leading. And he keeps looking back. Where am I leading? You know, that's kind of how it goes. And I'm always like, no, we're going this way. And you have to, he always, you know, okay, okay, we go that way. Do you know why? Because I'm the one who knows where the water is. You know, when he gets thirsty, I'm the one who knows how to get him back to that. He has no idea. He would just lead us off and where the birds chirp, you know? And this is kind of what we're doing. We have this vision of the trail in front of us. God, I need you to lead me there. And Jesus is like, no, I need to lead you to steal water. And that's not that way. I need to take you here and I'm going to do something in your life and I've got to work something out in your life and you're going to have to follow me through the, through the valley of the shadow of the death and I don't want to go there. It's dark. I want to go over here. And Jesus says, you need to follow me. And we're like, well, okay, maybe. I think maybe I'll just catch up with you. How about if we just got you go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll meet somewhere at the end. And that doesn't work for Jesus. I just got to let you know, in case you've been wondering, that doesn't work for him. Now, I'm going to talk about um, a little story of, of Simon Peter. I'm going to tell it in three acts, and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about some areas in his life where he kind of bumped up against this himself. I love Peter because he's real. You know, I, can, I can relate to Peter. I see a lot of me in Peter, and that's probably a bad thing for Peter. But uh, you know, I'm not saying I see the saint part of Peter in me. I see, I see my part in, in Peter early on. And in the Acts, Peter just changes. I mean, he's just totally different. But in the Gospels, I kind of see it. And so I'm going to show you, uh, Peter has probably one of the greatest moments that any follower of Jesus could ever possibly have. Uh, and he also has this horrible moment, which is one of the worst things a, a follower of Jesus could have, but Peter has him like in the space of an hour. Uh, poor Peter. I mean, he has some swings here. And I want to talk about that first. Now, let me set this up, those of you who know the Gospels. But this is um, right after Jesus has fed the 5,000 people, you know, with the, the two fish and the loaves. He just fed 5,000 people. And right after that, the people there didn't understand who Jesus was because they tried to make him king. They're saying, hey, this guy's the man. He's smart, he's wise, he's generous, he can produce food from nowhere, he heals people. Who would, who would we have besides him for our king? And so they said, let's make him king. And Jesus just dispersed the crowd, sent him all away, and took his disciples someplace else. He had no desire to be an earthly king. He was the Messiah. That's actually greater than king, but we don't see that because we're looking at it in, in our earthly view. And so he sends them all away. And as they're walking along to their next place, they kind of gather on a fire. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say? that I am. I'm not the king. Who do they say? And so they're coming on to some, well, some say John the Baptist, which makes no sense because John the Baptist was still there at the time. And others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he says, well, who do you say I am? 
Now, this, I've done a sermon and made this a big point before, but it's like, this after like 24 miracles have been produced in front of the disciples. It's like a lot. <laughs> and they've seen people healed. They've seen people, uh, you know, uh, demons cast out. They've seen food multiplied. They've seen him walk on water. It's all this kind of stuff's happened, right? Uh, and so you would think the answer would be obvious. Of course, we're reading with the uh, you know, benefit of 2,000 years of, of understanding. They weren't. And so when Jesus says this, you'd expect them all to be, ooh, me, call on me, teacher. Ooh, I got the answer, you know. Instead, Jesus says this, it's like crickets. And there's a quiet sound, and everybody's waiting and waiting. And finally, Peter's going to speak up. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He just boldly says it. You know, that's Peter. He's just bold. And Jesus says to him, I would expect him to say, well, good. One of you got it, you know. But no, Jesus says this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That just means his father's name was Jonah. Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. That's got to be a great moment for Peter, right? And I know that these, these guys all go on to become saints. And I know that we all revere these apostles. But you know they're jealous of Peter at this point, right? They're all sitting there going, oh, man. How'd that fisherman get it right? I don't get it. You know, I'm a tax collector. I should have known that. And so they're all kind of, oh, Peter got it. But now God reveals something to Peter. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm the man. And he doesn't stop, though. He goes on. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, which we is weird. I'll get back to that. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now, what's weird about him calling him Peter is earlier in the verse, they called him Simon Peter, right? Well, actually, his name was Simon at that moment. And, but we call him Simon Peter because of this moment, because Jesus is going to call him Peter. Now, he doesn't actually say Peter, just for those of you who like to know this stuff. He actually calls him Cephas, which is the Aramaic term for rock, right? Which is why later, if some of you guys read the New Testament, you'll see Paul refer to him as Cephas. That's Peter. Right? That's that. They call him the rock. <laughs> I don't know if he did that thing with the eyebrow or not after that, but they call him the rock, right? Uh, Petra would be the Greek form of it, and of course we get Peter from that. So that's, that's where Peter gets his name. But, but, God, but Jesus says, I'm going to make you the rock of my church, whatever a church is, because they didn't exist yet. I'm going to make you the rock of my church. All Peter knows is the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And Peter must be like, man, what a day. This is like my greatest moment ever. But Jesus isn't done. He tells him, look, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And Peter's like, man, I'm getting the keys to the kingdom. This is, wow, what a day. And then he tells everybody else, don't tell anybody else this. This thing that Peter has revealed to you. And so at this moment, you know, Peter's like, okay. I have now been elevated to the top of the food chain here. I, the other disciples are going to start listening to me, and I'm going to be Jesus' second in command of this thing called a church, whatever that is, and I'm the man, right? Uh, but we need to make sure that we never confuse revelation with knowledge because Jesus said God revealed that to Peter. That's not the same thing as knowledge. See, knowledge you kind of work at and so you understand a little better. God simply gives you something with revelation, and it's simply a splinter of the mind of God. It's just this little speck. And sometimes we get like really full of ourselves. Like, well, now I understand this. But revelation is always only given to us in part. We don't ever get the full revelation. Do you know why? Because if God gave you the full revelation, it would blow your mind. Literally, you would just like melt. And so he only gives you a part of it because that's all you can handle. A part of it. We know this because uh, Paul says this a couple times. He says in, in, sec, in 1 Corinthians 13, but he also says it here. We know that we all have knowledge, he says in 1 Corinthians 8, but knowledge alone makes us arrogant. Love edifies. 
If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he needs to realize he does not yet know everything he ought to know. You don't have it all figured out. You don't have this, you don't have this on lockdown yet. You're still learning. You're still growing. We are to grow in knowledge and in grace. Continue to grow. You never get it all at once. God just doesn't give you, bam, this isn't the matrix where they stick something to the back of your head. Oh, I know now. You know, it's not how it works. But Peter is still going to learn that because he's kind of thinking, well, I got this now, you know. But the problem is that knowing that Jesus is the Christ is not the end, it's the beginning. And some of the problems that we have with this whole idea of, you know, what do we do now is that we think that we're finished. We're just starting. This is the beginning of the journey. This is not the end of the journey. And so then it goes on. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and that he'll be raised up again on the third day. So he starts trying to let them know, I'm going to be a different Messiah than what you're thinking. I'm not the king who's going to throw Caesar off the throne. I'm actually going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to be killed. And uh, Peter's like watching the disciples like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he takes Jesus aside and said, Jesus, dude, you're freaking him out here. Let's not, let's not go there. Let's, let's tone that down a little bit. In fact, it even says he pulls him aside and rebukes him. No, 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 no. You can't tell him that. Don't say that. Besides, I'm telling you, that's not going to happen on my watch. You know, I'm here now. That won't happen. Your rock is here. I'm going to make sure that will not happen to you. It simply won't. God forbid it. No way. He actually says, no Lord to Jesus Christ. By the way, no and Lord is what we call an oxymoron. Those two words should never be in the sentence together. Right? It's yes, Lord. It's not no, Lord. It's never like that. But here's the problem, that he's taking a look at what he believes is happening here, and we can never judge heaven's actions by earthly standards. And if you do, I promise you, you will be disappointed. I can just guarantee it. If you are judging what heaven's doing by humans understanding and human actions, you're going to be disappointed in it. You're going to not like the outcome. You're just not. God's going to disappoint you because you're looking at it in terms of human understanding. So now you would think that Jesus would now at this moment turn to Peter and say, you know, Peter, this isn't the time to talk about that. Or, hey, Peter, how about a little respect for your Lord? You know, cool it. Or something like that. Instead, he turns to Peter and says this, get behind me, Satan. He points his finger at him and says, get behind me, Satan. So we went from being the highest, most exalted disciple to a matter of two hours being called the devil himself. He said, what you're saying are words that's coming straight from the pit from hell. You are preaching Satan's sermon at me. Remember how when you know, the, the, the serpent spoke and Eve was, you're as bad as Eve. You're, you know, you're, you're worse than Eve. You're worse than a serpent. You're, wor- you're Satan himself speaking to me right now. That's what I hear. Your, your lips are moving, but I hear Satan's voice coming out of your mouth. That's got to be a horrible feeling, right? Sitting in front of Jesus and being called Satan. And he says, get behind me, You are a stumbling block, some translations say an offense, like this offends me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, you're mindful of the things of men. Let me me ask you a weird question. Have you ever tried to measure Jesus' importance in your life with a ruler? That's a weird question, right? What does that even mean, ruler? Well, what else are you going to use, a scale? What earthly form of measurement are you using to measure Jesus in your life? Because none of them work. You cannot use anything on earth to measure Jesus. And that doesn't matter if it's a ruler, if it's a, if it's a scale, or if it's a speedometer, or whatever. You can't measure God with earthly measurements. He's outside of them all. And that also includes anything you see and think you know. It's still 
earthly. You can't measure God by those terms. God is infinite. He's eternal. He can't be measured. Okay, act two. That was Peter's evening. Here's Peter's night. Now this is moving forward in the story. In fact, we just talked about this, those of you who are at the Passover dinner, at Passover, because this is Passover night that this happens, where Peter and Jesus and his disciples are there. They're having their last supper, which is a Passover meal. And when the hour had come, Jesus, remember they reclined at the table, reclines with the apostles, and he's telling them, he's telling them now, not only am I going to be betrayed, it's happening tonight. And not only am I going to be betrayed by night, it's going to be somebody in this room. And he tells them that. He says, um, I've been looking forward to this day. Behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. So everybody's looking at their table now. Everybody's hands on the table. Someone here is betraying me. Indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he has betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Everybody's like, whoa, 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 one of us? And they start looking at each other. I've always thought you were shifty, Matthew. You know, Tell me, tell me the truth. Are you planning to betray him? Everybody's looking at each other. And actually, a, an argument breaks out at this point about who's the greatest among them. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, well, it couldn't be me, Peter says, I'm sure, because I'm the rock, remember? It wouldn't be me. And so, well, if you're the rock, I'm the you know, boulder on top of the rock. And they start arguing about who's greatest, right? And we know that Simon's involved in this because when Jesus shuts up the squabbling children, he does it by calling out Simon. So you know Simon was right in the middle of this discussion of who's the greatest. And I love the fact that he doesn't call him Peter this time. He calls him Simon by his given name. He doesn't just use it once. He uses it twice. Parents, that's when you know that kid's going to get it, right? I mean, when you call that twice, you know, that was, you know you're going to get it. When, when, my, when my mother was mad at me, she changed my name. My name is Mark, just Mark. And my middle name is Joel. And of course, my last name is Grace. And so that's my name, but not when my mom was mad at me. When she was mad at me, my name became Marcus Joel Grice. That's when I knew I was going to catch it, right? I was going to catch it then. You know, hey, Simon, Simon, you know, so Jesus is going to get his attention. But watch what he says to him. This is really sobering. He says, Simon, Simon, I got to tell you something. Satan, the devil himself, has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Don't get too full of yourself here. You've been called out by name by the devil. He wants to sift you like wheat. What does that even mean? Okay, so we don't, we're kind of far for the farm, but it, it, here's, here's how the process of wheat goes. Uh, and I'd like to say I learned this on a farm, but I didn't. I just learned it by looking it up. There's two parts of this when you're, when you're gathering up the wheat. The first is called the threshing. They take up these big stalks. They actually just beat them. And what happens is that knocks the grain off of the stalk. You know, and, they, and they beat them up and they gather up all this stuff. But it's not done yet. Because some of those kernels, they're, they're, just, they're just pure wheat. You could eat them, you could use them for bread, whatever. But a lot of them still have pieces of the shaft stuck to them. It's called the chaff. And it sticks in. Now, you could, I guess, if you had infinite amount of time, take them and clean them off one by one. But that's not what they do. Instead, they take a sifter. And they throw all this stuff in there and they shake them around. And one of three things happens. Some of the the good wheat just falls straight through. There's nothing holding it. The, the holes are smaller or bigger than the, the wheat. It just falls through. Sometimes the chaff that's holding on to the wheat's not holding on very strong, and this motion breaks the chaff off, and it leaves, and the wheat falls through. Sometimes the wheat is so gripped in with the chaff that it never does come loose. And that's left in the top when they're all done, and they throw it out. Right? So that's, that's what happens. So what's going on is the devil's saying, Peter's not yours, he's mine. He's got more of me in him than you. He's holding on to things of me. 
not you. And if I sift him through my sifter, you'll see. He doesn't fall through like wheat. He stays where he's thrown away and trampled. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter. He's saying the devil has asked for permission to take you and put you in his sifter. That cannot be a painless process, by the way. That's got to be very painful. The devil's going to sift you. He's asked for permission. Now, you would think the next thing is Jesus would say, but don't worry, you're mine and I'm protecting you. But that's not what Jesus says. Here's what he says. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail you and that when you come back, you can strengthen others. I'm rooting for you, Peter. I'm praying that your faith will hold through this painful process and the chaff will fall away and you will fall through pure and whole and then you'll be so strong you can come back and help others. I'm praying for you. He didn't say he's going to make it through. He said, I'm praying that you do. I'm praying that your faith is going to be strong enough. Here's my question. If a seed which is too attached to a husk doesn't make it through the sifter, what are you too attached to? What are you holding on to? What has God tried to sift out of your life? Because if God can't succeed, guess who gets the next shot at you? What are you holding on to? And you just won't let go of. There's something that all of us end up doing. And this is Peter. Peter was holding on to some things. He had a great deal of pride. He did. And we see it in, in, in his life. We see, we see him do that. He speaks without thinking because he always thinks he's right. You know? Know anybody like that? No, don't answer that. Do you know anybody like that? And somebody who always thinks they're right? Look, and you say, well, well, God wouldn't let that happen to me. Listen to me. God will never deliver you from that which he wants to perfect you through. He doesn't want wheat with chaff attached to it. This is why he doesn't save you and say, I'll see you later. He says, no, 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 I saved you, but you're a mess. I need need to work with you from now until eternity to get you ready for heaven. You're still a mess. You understand, I saved you. God finds us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. But we want to be left there. Just leave me alone. Let me be who I am. And you love me, right? Yeah, but I love you because I can see what you're going to be. Uh, Jesus does not just say, no, that's okay. I'll just take you as you are. That's fine. You can come to Jesus as you are, but you don't leave Jesus as you are. That's not the point of salvation. Peter, of course, doesn't believe any of this. He says, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm ready to die for you. I'll go to prison. I'll go to death. I'll go to hell. I don't care. I'll do it all for you. This is Peter, right? He's taking nothing seriously. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? I'm telling you the truth. The ruse is not going to crow. And this is like late in the night. This is not very far from now. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter doesn't believe him. You can tell. Peter just, well, that, that's just simply not going to happen. And then Jesus turns to the, the disciples who must be sitting there, the mouths dropped open, you know, because this is the guy who's the rock. This is how he's getting treated. They're like, you know, staring at Jesus. And he turns to them and says, look, all of you are going to stumble with, from me this night. All of you. Something's going to happen that's going to blow your mind. You're going to say, there's no way this would happen to the Messiah. That can't be the Messiah. I must have been following with fake. There's a lot of you who are going to stumble tonight because of what's about to happen. A lot of us do stumble because Jesus doesn't act the way we expect him to. He says, but, in fact, it's been prophesied, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Notice he doesn't say where you all will meet me there. Who makes it through the sifter will meet me in Galilee when this is all over. 
This is a try night for everybody. We just have a focus on Peter. Now, Peter will actually go on to fail in three areas, I believe, faithfulness, devotion, and steadfastness. And I don't have time to develop all these thoughts. Let's give you the scriptures real quick. Faithfulness, of course, is what happens not too long from there. They go out and Jesus says, I need for you all to pray. Just wait and pray with me. You know, that, everybody knows this part of the Easter story. Can you just wait with me one hour while I pray? You know, Jesus is in pain because he knows what's coming. And he, can, he, he knows this is all about to happen. Can you just pray with me? Can you be a good friend to me and stay with me for one hour, right? And we know they don't. We know they fall asleep. And when he comes back, you know, when, when Jesus speaks to me, Jesus is pretty gracious because he says, could you not even wait for one hour? One hour, it wasn't 10 minutes. They fall asleep three times in one hour. He keeps coming back. You sleep, it's been 10 minutes, you know? I could measure this with a stopwatch, your faithfulness. And, and he comes back, and then finally the third time he says, you know what, Simon, are you sleeping? This is the one who's going to protect me from all things. You're sleeping? I could have been killed right now. You wouldn't even know it. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's the flesh that's going to get us pulled out of the sifter. We have to let go of that. We have to let the spirit win. So that's faithfulness. Couldn't even wait with him for one hour. Actually, devotion comes a little bit later than that. So what happens next is, as Peter says, never mind, everybody's going to wake up, they're here now. And all of a sudden, the entire cohort of people show up. 600 Roman soldiers come to get him. They always get it wrong in the movie. You'll see like three guys in bad Roman costumes holding a spear. No, no. There are 600 battle-hardened veterans came to get Jesus. And he walks up to them, the leader, the captain, and says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And your Bibles will say that Jesus says, I am he. But that's not what Jesus says. If you actually look at the Greek, what Jesus says is, I am. He speaks his name. I am. And when he speaks his name, it blows all 600 soldiers away. Like literally, they stagger back and fall. Just God speaking his name on earth took 600 of the best soldiers of Rome down. Listen, Jesus didn't have to let them take him. If he could do that with a word, could you imagine what a sentence would do? All he had to do was say his name, and they couldn't handle it. Just that glimpse of glory was too much. They fell down. They get back up. They go, um, we're looking for <clears throat> Jesus. And Jesus says, that's okay. Come, come on. And at that moment, the priest steps forward. And he wasn't doing anything until he made sure it was clear. So now the priest comes forward to take him. And at that moment, Peter comes to life. Peter the rock steps forward with a yaha. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, don't know why the fisherman has a sword, but he's the one holding it, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Now, I just want to point out, there are 600 soldiers there all with weapons. The priest probably has a ceremonial dagger. That servant has a quill and a pen and, and some paper, you know. Who does Peter strike? <laughs> None of the soldiers. He's not after any of them. He goes after the poor guy with the pen and the parchment who's just writing things down for the record, you know. He cuts off his ear, which tells me either he's really bad with that sword, swung and missed by a mile, or else he's like, I'll take the, I'll take the assistant, Jesus. You take the other 600, you know. It's like as he steps forward with his great stroke of, of skill. But the problem was Jesus didn't even stepping forward at all. Jesus had this whole thing under control. Did he not see that Jesus was doing this? He was allowing it to happen? And if you're truly devoted to Jesus, you don't go rushing forward doing stupid things in his name. You listen to him and he says, whoop, 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 stay back. I got this. I have this. This is, this is mine. I got this. You just stay back. Jesus was trying to make sure no one else got killed. He knew he was going to be a sacrifice. He didn't want to turn into a bloodbath. 
So, you know, Peter, if he's truly devoted to Jesus, sometimes the hardest thing to do is sit back and wait when Jesus says wait. And those of you who've been Christian for a while know waiting's hard. So the hardest part of being a Christian sometimes, God says, wait. I don't want to wait. Wait anyway. Are you devoted to me or not? And so that he also there. And then finally, of course, we, we, know, the, we know the final story of, of what happens when, when he and John sneak into the courtyard. They actually, John knows somebody who works in the kitchen. And so when Jesus is taken away to Pilate, they sneak in and Peter's trying to figure out what's going on. He's trying to listen. You know, he's trying to catch a glimpse of what's happening inside, what's being said, what's going on with Jesus, you know. He went peaceably. He must have something up his sleeve and he's trying to figure it out. Unfortunately, while he's trying to figure it out, people see him. And so they come up and they say, uh, well, you're one of the disciples, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, not me. You got, you, shh, shh, I'm trying to say. And this happens three times, just like Jesus predicts. And the last time, I love the last one, the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose Peter, ear Peter cut off. So like, he really knows who this is. He watched this guy slice up his cousin. Challenged him, well, I saw you with him at the garden. And Peter says, no, 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 it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Must be another good-looking fellow. It was not me. Uh, must have been someone else. Uh, and then, of course, the cock crows, and Jesus is taken away, and, and Peter is left in the darkness. This must have been a very dark time because this is not the end of the devil's sifter. He's in it now. He's going to be very, very, very dark place. We don't see Peter again, by the way. John will show up at the foot of the cross. Peter doesn't. We don't know where Peter is. He's probably in despondent and disp- depression. Things are really, really dark because you know the devil's not letting him off the hook now. See? You denied Jesus. See? You weren't listening to him. You couldn't even wait an hour. Are you kidding me? Do you think Jesus has any use for you now? You're a failure. You will never be part of the church, let alone the founder of the church. This is how the devil talks, by the way. If you ever heard that voice that's not coming from God, that's called condemnation, it's coming from the devil. And Peter is in the throes of it because he knows everything the devil's saying is true. Peter doesn't know how deep Jesus' grace can go. And so it'll be some time before Peter comes back. Like I say, Act 3, Peter's day. This is after the resurrection when, when uh, Jesus comes back and finally he starts revealing himself. He actually reveals himself to the disciples just to show he's alive, but he doesn't give them any instructions. That must have hurt Peter. Jesus is here, but he doesn't come to Peter and talk to him. He doesn't tell him what his next move is as the rock of the church. He doesn't speak to him deliberately and specifically. He just comes and says, see, I'm alive. And what happens next is Peter apparently gives up. Because what was Peter before he became a disciple? Fisherman. Well, I used to be a fisherman, then I became a disciple. Now I'm not a disciple anymore. I guess I'll go back to being a fisherman. And that's where Jesus finds him, which is great. Because it's exactly where Jesus found him when this whole thing started. If you remember someone from a couple weeks ago. He's out there fishing and John's in the boat with them and they're fishing all night and just like before, no fish. It must have been like, oh, I remember what this feels like. This is why I got out of being a fisherman, you know? And he's pulling that and, and all of a sudden someone calls to them from land. You guys catch anything? No. Why should I throw on the net on the other side of the boat? What a stupid idea that is. Fish swim under the boat, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not like this boat goes down. It's not a one-way boat. Oh, well, what the heck? just to entertain them. We'll throw them on the other side. And as soon as it hits the water, just like before, here come the fish. And John looks up, and it's John who understands. He says, it's Jesus. And then Peter looks up and looking like, is that Jesus? And he jumps in the water, because of course it's Jesus. It's exactly how he met you to begin with, Peter. And he swims to shore. He lets them struggle with the boat. 
and he swims to shore. But no one says anything. They were almost afraid to ask, you know, why are you here? And, and so he says, eat. So he makes them fish. They have a fish fry. The very first fish fry doesn't happen on Fridays. It happens after. And so they have a fish fry there, right? And uh, so they're all done. Then they're all eating, done eating breakfast, and he takes Peter aside. Now he's going to speak one-on-one to Peter. He calls him for it. Hey, Simon, son of Jonah, they get away from the people a little bit. Do you love me more than you love these other 11? He says, Lord, you, you know I love you. And he says, well, then feed my lambs. And then a little bit later they walk. He says, um, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, tend my sheep. Notice there's a difference. Changes it. And then the third time, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter's grieved because he said to him this third, the third time. But you understand what Jesus is doing, right? By his mouth, he denied him three times. Jesus is giving an opportunity to, by his mouth, confess him three times. It's like he's offering a way back. One by one, he's taking them away and showing them he's forgiven for each one of them. He says, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I want you to look at the progression. Feed my lambs, the little ones. What happens when you feed lambs? They become sheep. Take care of my sheep, the bigger ones. What happens when you take care of sheep? They have more little ones. Feed my sheep. He said, here's what I need for you to do. I need you to do the job I'm giving you. These sheep, they're mine, and I'm giving them to you. I need somebody who can take care of them. Are you that someone? Do you love me enough to put everything else aside and just take care of the sheep that I give you? Are you willing to do the work that I give you? And he's saying, yes, I am. And then he says, follow me. If you are, follow me. Jesus is always very clear. He doesn't trick anybody. There's work to do here, folks. Are you willing to do it? If so, follow me. See, we're not supposed to follow, to find Jesus when it's all over. We're supposed to follow him now. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. We don't give up. Our bodies are becoming weaker and weaker. Amen, Paul. But our spirits are being renewed day by day. Our troubles are small. They last only for a short time, but they're earning for us a glory that will last forever. It is greater than all of our troubles. Here's the reality. Jesus is our Messiah day by day, or he is not our Messiah at all. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your blessing. Of-